You're listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. I'm Marcus, and I'm here just to apologise for the audio quality on this recording. But I did record it whilst I was parked up at services, and it was a very, very cold January. So I hope that doesn't spoil your enjoyment too much. And uh, I'm going to go from this lovely little clean-sounding vocal to a really raspy one in the cold January weather. I hope you enjoy yourselves. Thank you for listening. Now, here he is, the man himself, Marcus. I wanted to make sure that I kept up with uh, you lovely listeners out there and kept up with your questions and uh, tried to do the best I could to help you out. So we're going to start with question one. Uh, Helen Pitsy says, In these days of modern music and all of these genres, I wonder when all of the genres of music are going to run out. With rock and pop and hip-hop and everything in their own category, how do you feel about this? I wonder what your thoughts were. All the best. Happy New Year. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I always feel like um, with, with things like that, there are genres that are kind of created in order for people to get hit albums, the number one grunge album, the number one hip-hop album, the number one uh, grime album, you know, I mean, rock and and uh, pop music and reggae, I mean, that's been there forever. But even in the 70s, glam rock and all of these things and disco, but th- these days it seems worse than ever. Drum and bass, house and garage and all the th- other things that I'm too old to understand. And you, you hear things like the number one album, and when you actually read about it, it's the number one selling grunge album or the number one selling, you know, Britpop album or whatever. If it's the number one selling album, it should cross over into different genres. People people liked, you know, people liked Michael Jackson because, uh, and the Beatles and people like that who have been around forever, they got number one albums, and they got number one albums not in their own chart. There's only two genres, in my opinion, Helen, and that's good and bad. And that's only really dependent on the person that's listening to it. If I like something, it's a number one album. If I don't like it, it isn't. Um, yeah, it, it's it's all gone a little bit mad. But then I suppose you have to categorise things. You have to have classical music and Britpop music and because then people know what they're buying. So uh, just, just to take a different spin on it, Maybe that's not such a bad thing if if somebody knows if they buy a Britpop album, kind of how it's going to sound. But yeah, I think there are too many, and I think that all all it all it really does is it kind of it's a little bit like the the British tennis number one. He's the British number one, you know. He's sort of number seven hundred and twenty six in the world. But, you know, we're going back a bit now because obviously we've got Andy Murray and other players, but sort of 25, 30 years ago, the British number one tennis player was, you know, probably 700th in the world. So, but it sounded good, you know, the British number one. And and it's one, like when people say in the Olympics, well, I, I got a PB, I got, I got a personal best. That's great for you, but you were sixth. So it's kind of, you know, um, different genres, different uh, arguments for different things, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure that um, somebody like Rory Gallagher would want to be in a, a rock category or a folk co- category or a rock folk category or a, or a, a rock and roll category. I think he'd just want to be Rory Gallagher. And if you liked his stuff, then you then you bought it. 
And if you didn't like it, then you didn't buy it. And um, I think it's really as simple as that. It should be two categories. There aren't. There are really only two categories, and that's good and bad. And I think music is there to be listened to, and it doesn't matter what genre it is or how it's categorised. If you like it, then like it. I grew up, and I didn't really care what my mates listened to. I only really cared whether I liked it or not. If I liked it, I listened to it. If I didn't, I didn't. And therefore, when I'd make a mixtape for somebody, you know, probably a first girlfriend or something, it's something, it's changed now, things have changed now, but but back then you would do a, you say, I really like this girl at school, I'm going to make her a mixtape of all my favourite songs, you know, but but you suddenly, you suddenly realise that on it was the Beatles and Michael Jackson and, and the Who, and then right in the middle of it, UB40, and then there was a couple of BG songs, got a bit of love on there, you know, if you like the girl, so... You know, music's music. That's it, really. It's nice to if if somebody told me I had the I had um a number one album, I'd be over the moon. But if they then said, yeah, it's the number one selling album in your town, or it's it's the number one selling album in your house, I've got my own my own music genre, and it's called Innovation Studios. And I at the moment have and own and play on the best selling album to come from my house. So Innovation Studios, I have the best-selling album uh, in that category. So there you are. I have, I have a number one album if, if the category is my house, my studio. But yeah, lots of genres, uh, Helen, and uh, my thoughts, tongue-in-cheek really, but always listen to everything you can. And uh the great thing is discovering an album that you never even knew of or you, that you maybe didn't even realise. I don't know how old you are, my love, but go and, you know, play your dad's records, go and play your mum's records, you know, see what they're into, see what they listen to, because music's passed down from generations. And um, when people say rock and roll music, rock and roll is probably the biggest genre. I've heard bands say they were rock and roll bands, and I think they don't say anything like rock and roll. That's not rock and roll. It's just a cool thing to say that you do. I'm playing a rock and roll band or I'm playing a rock band. But pretty much that's it. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, second query, Carl. And Carl is from Holbridge. Uh, Carl says, uh, having been in bands for many, many years. Oh, he said, Hi, Marcus, how are you? But he says, having been in bands for many, many years and focused mostly on rock, I'm looking to get into Tamla Motown and looking to get into... Uh, disco and other other styles as well, other genres as well, in order to make more money and get more shows. My training is in musical theatre, but in the last few years I've been in a rock band. I just wondered how the voice would work and what I would need to do to adapt to this new career. Hello, Carl. Um, you don't have to do an awful lot. I think I think the voice is versatile and can cross over. And I think uh, if you sing, I mean, that that's a big change. If you've gone from musical theatre to rock music, I, I would say that's probably as big a change as you can find because you've really gone from diaphragm singing and breathing singing and the emotional up and downs into sort of in-your-face, front in a rock band, uh, growly, powerful, strong, <laughs> melodic, so if you're able to do that, you know, in the middle there is probably all of the other genres and all of the other categories. So I think that um, 
the crossover, uh, the voice is the the voice is a voice, and the voice is uh, your voice. And if it makes a difference, singing a song in a certain way. To give you an example, if you're trying to sing something really, really throaty and really, really powerful, I read somewhere that Levi Stubbs, who's a lead singer or was a lead singer of the Four Tops, when they wrote the songs, they were beyond his vocal range, or at least he felt that they were. And he would say to them, can you take these down a key? And they said, no, you need to find a way of getting these songs to come out of you. So when you listen to the Four Tops and you listen to Levi Stubbs, it's a powerful voice, but it's really strong, really kind of, but it's not straining. It's, there's not a lot of diaphragm there. It's just a big, huge voice, massive voice just to get this to come out, these these melodies. And um, so if you're singing something by the Four Tops, you can uh, cross over into the rock category and really push it hard. And also, I think the soulful stuff as well, it's its really just how it's attacked. There are different vocal rhythms for different singers. And without wishing to get all sort of stars in their eyes on you, um, different singers have different rhythms. So somebody like Elton John, in my opinion, he has a vocal rhythm like nobody else. And he, he his vocal is a little bit like a piano. The accents uh, are not always... Where you'd, where you'd expect them to be. And they're not always at the start of the line or things like that. So I wouldn't say it was unconventional, but I would say that that's the way he sings and that's who he is. And it works so well with a piano and with that style. Uh, who am I to say it doesn't? Bloody hell, from my little shed in Hadley. But on a vocal rhythm plane, it's very... As a singer, I think you have to listen to that. So for all the people out there who are singing... Have a listen to the vocal rhythm, because the voice is an instrument. Have a listen to the vocal rhythm of people like Elton John, of people like Meatloaf, because even Meatloaf, it's not one smooth transitional wave of sound. It's a very strong, uh, rhythmical, melodic, almost its its own percussion. You know, skies are screaming and the fires are howling way down in the valley of the night. That's what makes meatloaf. If you sing that without any feeling, the fires are howling way down in the valley of the night. It's not the same. And Elton John is the same in as much as his vocal rhythm. You can never know what it's like. And if you don't do that, you can never know what it's like. There's no feeling in it. So you have to listen how you tap into the vocal rhythm of things. And uh, a band like the Four Tops, or uh, something like soul or Motown or disco, I think it's really the voice is the voice. And if you find a voice that's somewhere between the the really out there rock voice and quite a clean diaphragm thing, you'll find the right one. But it's more about the inflections on the voice and the, and the cadences in the voice that make the difference. Because you could stand up there and you could sing, you know, sitting in the morning sun. But if you don't go sitting in the morning sun, I'll be sitting. It's got a rhythm. I'll be sitting when the evening comes, watching the ship. You know, it's got, uh, 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 uh. so it's got its own rhythm. So I think all styles really. Um, but when you think about the voice as being an instrument in itself and being percussion in itself, then there's no reason why you wouldn't be able to do it. What you need to do is to find a voice that's somewhere in the middle. It's nice to be able to switch into the growl and out of the growl, into the rasp and out of the rasp. 
So when you're singing something like Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, um, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, and then now and again switching to because it's got a big middle section where it'd be nice if you can find the gravel. Looks like nothing's going to change. Everything still remains the same. So it's been able to switch that, uh, the, the, the power and the gravel on and off. But yeah, you'll be fine, Carl. Just, you just got to find the rhythm of the voice and then just here and there being able to switch into the rock and switch away from the rock to get the rasp. Um, now, I'm not saying you should blag. I don't mean blagging it. You know, I don't want you to blag it. I don't want anybody to blag it. Everybody should research what they're doing. Everybody should go out there and research what they're singing. Don't just walk out on stage on a Saturday night and sing a, sing a song, you know, because you, you need to find out what the rhythm of the song is. What's the vocal rhythm? And, and what's sometimes when something is put in the right place, it makes such a huge difference. Everybody thinks about Freddie Mercury, you know, being but he wasn't like that all the time. He was able to sing the, the sweetest melody line, love of my life, you know, is this the world we created? And he could switch the power on when he wanted it and switch it off when he didn't. And I tell you what, here's an example. I usually use this on new students, new, new vocal students. Anybody that's listening to this right now, go, when this is finished, listen to the rest of this first because you never know what's going to come out in the next 20 minutes. It could be really life-changing and, it, and uh, really make a difference to you. I, I don't think it will, but it might. When this is over, go and listen to the intro to Don't Stop Me Now. And what happens with that, listen to Freddie. And he starts with the breathy tonight. It is breathy. Gonna have myself. Then when he sings the, the next section, he leaves the softness and the breathiness behind. And it becomes all power and all diaphragm. You know, for the turn it in, turn it inside out line. And then back to floating around is breathier. If anything, breathier than the first line, which in itself is quite breathy. So it's controlling things like that. I totally digress, Carl, but the truth of it is find the rhythm of soul, find the rhythm of swing music, listen to swing, the way that that's attacked, the way that the great artists of swing have a vocal percussion. Straighten up and fly right. It has its own rhythm. It's almost like a trumpet. You know, it's uh, almost, I mean, you know, to, to get the feeling of that, to try and get that feeling. Um, have you met Miss Jones? Well, if that was a trumpet, I'd be... So it's that. It's that kind of find that. So if you're singing that, listen to these artists. They're all there to be listened to. What's the vocal rhythm? If you can get the vocal rhythm, in your case, Carl, for soul and for Motown and for disco, if you can find the vocal rhythm, then you just sing as you and you get the feeling of it. That's what it is, mate. That's, that is the name of the game, in my sincere opinion. Music Tuition Online. Have your guitar, bass, mandolin, vocal tuition, even production live online. One-to-one -one tuition via Skype or alternative streaming media. Learn from the safety of your own home. For further information, please contact us at Innovation Studios at www.innovationstudios.com. 
Next question comes from Louise, and Louise is up in Cheshire. Hi, Marcus. We go back a few years, and I'm sorry we didn't get to meet up in December for our annual tour with Great Days, but hopefully when things calm down, we can meet up soon and have a beer. Happy New Year to you. My question is, do you find that writing a song is as easy as writing a limerick when it comes to finding the words to fit? Uh, no. <laughs> Hello, Lou. How are you, my darling? Yeah, I mean, it's a good way to start, but different songs have different rhythms. So um, at the moment, I'm I'm in the process of writing a, a, a few songs in a few different styles. Um, <clears throat> and I find that sometimes if you're writing a song, you know, for, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure you do, a limerick is there was there wasn't any from Dada who da 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 and the words fit that sort of melody. There are a few rude ones that come to mind, but I can't think of any clean ones. So we'll leave that for another day. But yeah, it's not as simple as 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 that. I think it goes back to I think it was week one. Somebody said, "Do you do you find words first or or melody first? The answer is that sometimes I think. It's nice to to write down um, a few ideas. Music's, I think music is therapeutic anyway, right? So I think that if you're able to express yourself on paper, then it helps you if you can't express yourself in person. So express yourself on paper. Music's very, very therapeutic. It's like a diary at times. And... Also, there are no rules. I mean, as long as you have something that that fits the melody, the rhyme can be anywhere. So in the case of a limerick, you know, um, there was a young man from Newcastle who could wrap himself up like a parcel. Then the rhyme in that case is at the end of the line. But in some cases, you might write a song. um, There's a song uh, that that I worked on. um, And also... uh, uh, in a case of um, uh, recently, a song called, uh, well, funnily enough, it was called uh, Let's Rock This Christmas, which probably won't come out until next Christmas now. But the it was very quick rhymes. Christmas cheer, full of beer, it's, you know, sit down, have another beer. So the rhymes weren't always in, in where you expected it. And they were, if you take a song like Bob Dylan, um, Homesick Blues, I think it's it's something like sub, Subterranean Homesick Blues, but I... I Subterrain homesick blues. I, I cannot remember what how it's pronounced or what it is, but it's not difficult to find. And and if you think about those of you who are old enough, and I believe me, I'm old enough, would remember the video. It's him dropping the placards down. But uh, the, the the rhythm of the vocal in that is um, really really fast. Um, just trying to think of it now off the top of my head. Um, John is in the basement, mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement, thinking about the government. The man in a trench coat. It's the kind of words that kind of fall out. And even though they don't exactly rhyme, they have a real attacking, strong rhythm to them that just thump you in the back. And um, really, really, really strong, strong stuff. So you don't have to be able to write poetry in order to be a songwriter. And likewise, you don't have to be able to write the song in order to write poetry. You... I think it's a, a different way of expressing yourself. But even in even in poetry, a poem like If, it's not necessarily that it's a rhythmical thing. It's the passion of it. It's the power behind it. And although it does rhyme, it doesn't always rhyme in exactly the same places. And if it does, it's it's 
done with such a feeling and it can be read in so many different ways. There's a, there's a scene, um, and it's a very old scene, and I don't know how easy it is to find, but I'm sure that it's Peter Sellers, and he does the, I think it's, I, you know, I can't think what it is. It might be Richard III. But whatever it is, he recites the lyrics to A Hard Day's Night by the Beatles, and he does it in the theatrical Shakespearean way. You know, it's been a hard day's night. And... And it, when you see it like that, you realise how versatile an idea can be and how um, something like that, although it's funny and it's a brilliant, brilliant piece of work, it shows you how versatile uh, an idea or how a song can be and how it can cross over and mean something or, or come across in such a different way. It's a bit like Mad World by Tears for Fears. When you listen to Mad World, and you hear the original and it's quite, it's big 80s, it's strong stuff. And then here's this version, all of these years later by Gary Jules, slow, menacing, miserable, that just captured the imagination. And then what that did was kind of started off this idea that you could take any old fast song. I mean, a few of them get right on my nerves, to be honest. There's a version of Born to be Wild on an advert for a car and, and it it's just not born to be wild born to be wild is in your face heavy guitars thumping drums there you are it's not a piano ballad you know but somebody would turn around and say i think it's fantastic like that and if somebody hasn't heard that song they would be appalled when they heard the steppenwolf version like, wow god they've ruined that <laughs> that's kind of where music is isn't that the strangest thing that that's where music is these days that the kids are listening to this this version of of your song or they're listening to a, a new version of something that's slow and menacing. And then they go back and, and, and you play them the original. And I go, God, they've ruined that. And you go, no, they haven't ruined it. They did it first. And this new version that from a couple of years ago by another boy band who's going to split up in about three years is not the definitive version. You know, it's... Uh, Song, songs like Big Yellow Taxi by Amy Grant. It bounces along. It's great. And then you listen to the original and you think, yeah, the original's great, but you sort of go, oh, it's not, uh, the, you know, if, if you listen to the new one first, then it, it, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things that people that over the years when I've played them all along the Watchtower by Bob Dylan, who wrote it? Who was the first one to record it? And people have gone, oh, yeah, he doesn't do it as well as Hendrix, though. Or... You know, in Bob Dylan's case, knocking on heaven's door. Oh, he don't do it as, you know, he don't do it like Guns N' Roses do it. They do it properly. You think, wow, you know, <laughs> it's craziness. It's absolutely craziness. Which actually brings me to another question, which reminds me, and I'm going to dig it out. If you just bear with me, I'm just going to flick through my list because I try and type them out if I can. I take them off the emails and type them onto this sheet. I'm going to have a little look down, look down, look down, look down. Scrolling through, diddly do. Hang on a sec, hang on a sec. Uh, Rick, Rick, that's it, Rick. Hello, Rick, how are you, mate? Rick is from Sudbury. Uh, that's towards Colchester, I think, Suffolk, isn't it, Rick? Um, and Rick says, who, in your opinion, is the greatest songwriter who has bands who have made the best covers of his songs or their songs? I, I know what Rick means, yeah. Uh, artists whose cover versions are probably known better than their original versions. That's that's probably where we're coming from. 
And unhesitatingly, the answer is Bob Dylan. Unhesitatingly. I don't even think about it. And uh, because Bob Dylan is a legend of music and will always be a legend of music and will always be the first of this, the first of that, the first one to do this, the first, you know, protest songs were Dylan, an, an absolute icon of music. And when you listen to his versions of All Along the Watchtower, nothing like Jimi Hendrix. When you listen to his version of, of, of um, Knocking on Heaven's Door, nothing like Guns N' Roses, nothing like Eric Clapton. When you listen to his version of Eight Miles High, when you listen to his version of uh, All I Want to Do, when you listen to his version of um, Mr. Tambourine Man, and then you see the birds and you listen to the birds doing Mr. Tambourine Man with that killer 12 guitar, 12 string guitar intro. Brilliant, brilliant guitar intro. So I think it's Bob Dylan, uh, Rick, without a shadow of a doubt. And not, not to say that Bob's versions are not legendary versions, that of course they are, but I can't really think of any other artist who has been, um, and it's a good thing, versatile enough that their songs can be can cross over into so many different genres and so many different styles and, and more importantly, so many different interpretations. You can take a song like All Along the Watchtower and you can play it on one acoustic, you can play it uh, in, in a folk band and you can play it in a rock band and you can play it. it it's just a versatile, versatile song. And that's the, the key to it. I think it's probably got to be Dylan. I can't really think of anybody else because there are other people like Neil Diamond and Carole King who, who of course, wrote great songs and, and were original songwriters for the Monkees. So technically their songs were cover versions. And there are things like You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, which was originally Carole King. And these, these, these so they have people. But I think there's never really been anybody like Bob Dylan for uh, being interpreted in so many different ways ways in so many different styles in so many different genres by so many different artists so for me the greatest uh, songwriter whose cover versions are remembered more than his original versions or their original versions is bob dylan innovation studios hoodies Many colours and sizes available. Our logo proudly emblazoned on the front. The back can be personalised with your name or your nickname, or anything you want, as long as it isn't too shocking. Click to order online, www.innovationstudios.com. Okay, our next question comes from Nicola. And Nicola is in Billericay. Nicola says, what is the smallest show that you have ever played? I know that the usual question is, what's the biggest show you've ever played but as it's grassroots i can only assume that you may have played some small ones can you enlighten us please <laughs> yeah thanks nicola kick a man when he's down um the smallest show in terms of attendance that i've ever played was a valentine's night show in uh, 1999 and i played a solo show in a place called the railway in stanford and it's just by this, it's not, uh, they've got like a monument in Stamfordly Hope. And they booked me to play um, a Valentine's show. 
and uh, got everything ready. You know, I was the doctor of love. You know, got my waistcoat on and downloaded all my love songs. And there were three people in the audience, and mum and dad were two of them, and they they came with me to see the show. So technically, there was only one person in the audience, and technically, he was someone I knew as well, who I told I was playing there. So by default, I suppose you could say nobody. I played two 60-minute sets to nobody in what was quite a busy pub in a busy area. And it was one of those ones, and I'm sure some of the people out there have have experienced this, and if you have, then please email me and let me know. But you know when you're playing and you're playing in an empty room and you look through and in the snug bar it's rammed. Well, it was that sort of thing. And no one was watching me. They were all in the snug bar. I could see them through the other side of the of the bar. So one of those ones where they've got a big function room, which I set up in, and then through the bar was a little snug bar and it was packed. So I wasn't even playing to them because I didn't care. So nobody, I would say, but three in three totally in total, but by default, nobody. And I think it's one of those things, Valentine's Night, I think people always felt, oh, we have, we have a band on, we'll do, or we'll have an artist on, we'll have a singer on. And But I think the guys take the girls out or you, you go for romantic things. You don't go and see a bloke singing in the corner of a pub. At least I don't think you did. At least they didn't 20 years ago. So... Funnily enough, coming up to the, to the um, well, 20-odd years ago, 1999. So coming up to the anniversary of that, all you guys and girls out there, 22 years ago I played to no one. Uh, that will be coming up on the 14th of February, so that's something for me to, to celebrate with uh, maybe a cup of tea or something. But, yeah, the answer is nobody. And, you know, it can go like that sometimes. One of the funny things, you play these places and uh, you really do hear some wonderful stories. And But one of my favourite things is, is when you, you know, somebody will say to you, oh, lovely to see you, lovely to see you. Yeah, oh, it's you again. Oh, great. Oh, great. You know, good. We'll have a good night tonight. Should have been here last week. Band here last week. We're great. And you just got to go, oh, thanks for that. You know, I'll set up, shall I? So so many things like that. And um, I have a, a plethora of, of stories and things that I've picked up from over the years, silly stories and so- I could write a book. I don't know if anybody will buy it. Probably the same amount of people that listen to this. But if it makes a difference, then that's fine. You know, but uh, yeah, my answer to that is no one. I played to no one. And it really hurt as well. Last question comes from Kirsty. And Kirsty is in Brentwood. And Kirsty says, hi, Marcus. I just wondered, my son is into the Beatles and he's 12. I wondered if there was anything you could tell him about the Beatles that he doesn't know, as he's an absolute anorak and looks up everything about them on Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, well, Wikipedia is a really reliable source, Kirsty, as I'm sure you're aware. Um what, what can I tell you about, what can I tell a 12-year-old boy something that he wouldn't know about the Beatles? I'm assuming if he's an anorak, he's got every album, he's heard every song, he's heard every, you know, interview with them and stuff like that. I'm a fan of the Beatles and I'm a, I'm a massive fan of the Beatles and, and 
he's too old now, but there is a program called Beat Bugs, and it's on the BBC, and it's based on Beatles songs, and they use Beatles songs, and I think it's a wonderful, wonderful idea, and, and my brother's children are obsessed by the Beatles because of it. So they're, I don't think they've ever, gone, they've ever gone away, but they're a bit of a renaissance in terms of these kids are, are being switched on to the Beatles by so many different ways. But it comes back to that versatile thing, doesn't it? These songs can be all, all used in, in so many different ways, in so many different scenarios, in so many different styles. That's a good thing, you know? And, and um, what can I tell him he doesn't, something he doesn't know about the Beatles? How about this? How about this? Uh, now, this uh, is not something that is actually a fact, but it's something that's worth thinking about when you listen to the Beatles, if you listen to the Beatles a lot. I'll try and put it in layman's terms, in easy terms for you, so you can understand. She says here his name, uh, just let me just get, because I want to talk to him personally, Neil. Neil. Right, what can I tell 12-year-old Neil about the Beatles? I'll tell you what, Neil, next time you're listening to the Beatles, right, now, most of the songs, they say Lennon-McCartney. Okay, so John Lennon, Paul McCartney, you know they are, right? You don't need me to tell you. If you take the idea, how about this, that John Lennon was a bit miserable and Paul McCartney was always happy, you can tell, even though they are both written on the, the credit for the song, using that thought process, you can, in most cases, work out who wrote what part of the song. So when you're listening to a song that's a happy song, that's up-tempo, that sounds a bit happy, chances are it's probably Paul McCartney. And if you're listening to a sadder song, a softer song, maybe one that's uh, a bit more miserable, then you could say that it's John Lennon. Now, I'm not saying that that's right, because of course it isn't, but it's an interesting way of listening to them in a new way. And you could say, oh, you know, um, here's a song, A Day in the Life. Listen to that. You know that that, because John Lennon is uh, miserable. He's not, he's not miserable, but let's say for, the, for this argument. You can hear the fact that all of the sad stuff and all of the miserable stuff is John. And right in the middle of it is a nice happy bit. Well, Paul McCartney. And and almost like you could take an idea like Getting Better. There's a song on the same album, Getting Better. It's getting better all the time, Paul McCartney. Can't get no worse. It's the backing vocal, John Lennon. So, so there we are. It's uh, this, the Next time you listen to them, there's something you might not know about them. That if you adopt... The idea that one was happy and one was sad, you can tell who wrote which one, which part of, of each song. Um, the other thing I could probably tell you something about the Beatles that uh, you don't know or you haven't thought about is that they're going to be around forever and that they are up there with the greats like Mozart and Beethoven and all of these people and their music is going to last forever. But then you already know that. So I'm kind of telling you something you already know. But, uh, Neil, I'm just happy, mate, that a 12-year-old boy listens to the Beatles. But don't stop there. Have a listen to the bands that came at the same time as the Beatles. Have a listen to The Who. Have a listen to The Kinks. Have a listen to 
Manfred Mann, have a listen to the Rolling Stones, Herman's Hermits, have a listen to all of those, the Birds, have a listen to all of it, because it's all great music, the Beach Boys, there's something that you may not know about the Beatles, but you might, but it's, go and listen, Neil, go and listen, pester your mum and dad to get you an album called Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, because Pet Sounds came out a little bit before the Beatles started recording and making the album Revolver, which is the greatest, still voted the greatest ever album. And I wouldn't disagree with that. I think Revolver is a great album. But email me, Neil, anyway, and tell me what your favourite Beatles album is or your favourite Beatles songs, because I'd love to talk Beatles with you. But Paul McCartney and, and John, they'd heard the, the, the Pet Sounds album so they decided to kind of work and use that as uh, inspiration. So when you listen to Revolver, it's it's there and it's in that recorded in that way and in that style because they were so influenced by an album called Pet Sounds. So if you get a chance, go out and listen to an album called Pet Sounds. Other than that, other essential albums that you should own. Well, there's loads of them. I'll, I'll email you a few. I'll I'll, I'll reply to uh, to your mum's email, Neil. But uh, keep listening to the Beatles, mate. They're going to be there forever. Um, that probably just about wraps it up for this week. Thanks for bearing with me in terms of the sound quality. It's not easy talking to my phone um, in a car park somewhere because it's the only opportunity I've got. Send your questions in. I'm going to wish you all the best. Have a great weekend. Have a great week. Um, keep sending your questions in. I look forward to receiving them and uh, working out my answers on the spot. That's why some of this is a bit rambled sometimes. I don't really um, think of my answers until I'm there in the moment. Thank you for listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. Apologies again for the sound quality of that, but I hope you didn't spoil your enjoyment too much. We'll see you again soon.